evening, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday night um, live streaming. We have decided to stream um, Wednesday nights again uh, because individuals are requesting for it. And so, welcome to our Wednesday night live streaming. Uh, we have a few things to, for me to pass on to you before we get into the service tonight. One is, everyone I'm sure is aware of Brother Johnson's passing together with his daughter, Rindy. Sister Chandri and I are flying into Des Moines on Friday morning. So we'll go to the viewing, depends on our check-in at the hotel. And then we will um, have the funeral service. I think it starts at 9 o'clock. Um, nine o'clock in the morning because of limited time they had to fit everything into a slot so nine to ten I think the funeral service uh, we'll get all of that information but the funeral service will be live streamed on sister um, Duena's Facebook so it'll be live streamed those who can't make it to the funeral would be able to see it and um, it was Brother Johnson's desire and the family desire that I speak at the funeral. And so it's, I have to be there. And then from the funeral, we go straight over to the cemetery, which is, I think, walking distance. And so I'll get that done. And then I'm on my way back home. Chandri and I are on our way back home Sunday morning early. So we will be tired. Because to fly in, we get up early, you have to be at the airport early. And we want to pray that God give us journeying mercies so that we can make it in. Also, that's one, Sister, Sister Pam Goodwin. Uh, she's still on life support from what I understand. And if nothing improves by Friday, they will take her off life support. They're still praying that God work a miracle. If it doesn't happen, then they'll take her off life support. And so I would not be surprised if we have to make our, maybe I will have to make another trip, depends on what's happening here in Canada. Then um, Florida is being bombarded by a hurricane. And you know, we have folks in Florida that are there, Sister Kempadu and Brother Philip, Sister Aziman and Brother Philip, and their families are there. And we've got family out there too. So we want to pray that God have mercy on his people and protect them uh, during this hurricane season. But a lot is happening right now in the world. Uh, uh, destruction all around, to the right destruction, to the left destruction. It seems like we're living in a chaotic world. And I'm still convinced that sin is the cause and the Lord is the cure. A lot of times we try to find a cure without identifying the cause. May God help us. So tonight we want to pray that God would help us and cover our service tonight and meet these various needs. So let us pray. Join me in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I give you thanks tonight for the privilege you've given to us that we can approach your throne of grace. Father, Tonight, there are so many things we want to bring to your attention that you already are aware of, but you said, if two shall agree, as touching anything, it shall be done, if it is done according to your will. And so, Father, tonight we remember, first of all, Sister Pam Goodwin in the hospital. 
Lord, we believe you're a God of miracles. We have seen miracles happen so many times. But then, Lord, we are understanding that there is a length uh, of days that we must exist. And when it's time and we have to go, we'll have to go. Give us, Father, faith to believe thee for a miracle, and yet a faith to accept whatever your decision is when it's all over. Lord, we pray that as Chandra and I travel out on Friday morning, that you'll be with us and cover us on the trip. Let the funeral service be a testimony and a witness, O oh God, to individuals around. And also tonight we ask that your mercy will rest on the saints in, in Florida, that you'll be with them, Father. Encourage their hearts and protect your people, Father. We ask in Jesus' name that you'll bless the service tonight. Strengthen family members that are grieving and are stressed. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to console Sister Juliet's family uh, tonight. In Jesus' name, we bring all of these mercies before you, Father. In Jesus' name, we ask your blessing. Amen and amen. And the waves cover me And the dark clouds won't let the sun shine through And a voice seems to say Child, there'll be a brighter day Don't allow the storms to hide sweet heaven's view Cause you've got one more valley, one more hill And you've got one more trial, one more tear One more curve in life's road Be one more mile to go you can lay down your heavy load when you get home. Don't let Satan see your tears. Learn to smile through your fears. Hold your head up high and give the world a smile. Just be faithful all the way It will be worth it all someday For it all will be over after a while <clears throat> Cause you've got one One
valley, one more hill, and they've got one more hill, one more tear, one more curve in life's road, be one more mile to go. You can lay down your heavy load when you get home. Oh, bless the Lord, Pally, one more still waters and sometimes down paths I do not know sometimes he leads me through the valley but where he leads there his grace that flows <coughs> and sometimes down path. Oh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. <coughs> by still waters and sometimes down paths I do not know sometimes he leads me through the to me after all these years still through and faithful is he through the voice and tears his hand of I see 
after all these years After all these years After all these years To me after all these years Still through and faithful Is he through the joys and tears His hand of wisdom I see after all these years After all these years He's still more precious to me after all these years Still true and faithful is he through the joys and tears His hand of wisdom I see after all these years all these years oh thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord <clears throat> precious to me after all these years still of wisdom I see after all these years after all these years well what beautiful what beautiful songs we sing and it is so good when we sing uh, with the spirit of the song and the understanding thereof, not just another song. Uh, tonight, I will do something a little strange than I have done before. I'm looking at a scripture here in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. And when I came into church tonight, I opened my Bible and there it was, the 10th chapter of Hebrews. Um, it says a lot of things in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, uh, it is said that it is assumed that it was written by the Apostle Paul. And the King James translators actually have it as the Apostle of Paul, the uh, Epistle of Paul, the Apostle to the Hebrews. Now, it has been speculated that this book... Uh, in its original form, this epistle, I say epistle uh, or the, a letter, the word epistle could be rightly interpreted letter. This letter of Paul to the Hebrews, to the Jews. It was basically written to the Jews. And you and I are aware that Paul had a problem with the Jews because he was um, classified as a rebellious Jews, Jew, joining the uh, the Gentiles ever so often. 
But God had called Paul to preach to the Gentiles, and he had to do what God had called him to do. And so it has been speculated and suggested that in the original form, there is no author for this book. It is just the epistle to the Hebrews. And it doesn't say epistle of Paul, it just says epistle to the Hebrews. Brother Terry, am I correct? Yes. yes. And so they have drawn conclusion, and I believe Paul wrote it, but the speculation was, if he said the, apostle, uh, the epistle of the apostle Paul, or letter from Paul, the Jews would not want to read it. So if you want to give them a message, it's best you hide your identity, if that will offend them. And so he did not feel that's what is speculated. However, I'm, I turned over to open my Bible, and it was at the 10th chapter of Hebrews, and I'm looking at verse 22, where Paul, I will say Paul, because I believe he's the author, he says, let us draw, verse 22 in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And I'm sure he's not talking about just taking a shower, but pure water, the pure sanctification of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is often described as water. And of course, water baptism you can also describe as water. He says in verse 23, he admonishes the Hebrews, those who were basically Christians, he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, without wavering, for he, God, is faithful that is promised. He says, let us consider one another to provoke one another, provoke unto love and to good works. Uh, this is so beautiful. Um, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Uh, can I provoke you unto good works? And you know, I deal with people every day. You bump into people every day. Uh, you see individuals every day, and it is so good when we can have Christians live in the same community that we can see each other. And uh, you can see my life. I can see your life. You see me when I go to the store. We bump into each other at the pharmacy, and you know that you—that is what a church is ought to be—a community of individuals that gather together. I remember in the early days. I'm going to hold it here at verse 20, um, 24. I'm coming back to verse 25 in a minute. But I remember when I went to Des Moines the first time, uh, they impression that I received was the church at that time was at a place called, a location called Sixth and Clinton. Sixth and Clinton was where the church that I went to was before they erected the new building and married the drive. And one of the amazing things were that the saints lived around the church. They bought little houses down the street and they were all living there. Another place I saw something like that was when I went to Bradenton, Brother Marlowe's church. Uh, the saints lived in the community of the church, like the street next to the church. Of course, they don't have big homes. 
in Bradenton in that location. The church must have been the biggest thing in there, and the saints lived around there. And so I remember when I went to Des Moines, and I saw that, it encouraged me. There were so many th remarkable things that encouraged me going to Des Moines. Sister Chandri and I, Nadine, was uh, three years old. One and a half. She was one and a half years old, still in pampers, probably. Diapers, yeah. Yeah, she was a baby. We went in there, and we moseyed on into a community that we were not accustomed to. And that is where Brother and Sister Johnson uh, took us into their home. Uh, Bud was there. He was a young man at that time, and Duena, uh, and um, Duena. Um, and uh, not not Duena, um, Rindy. Uh, they were brother and sister, and the family took us in, and we became a part of the family. I'm saying all of that to come back to the concept that the church there had a pastor that I respected, and he became my pastor. But a Goodwin became my pastor. I was not sure uh, what the Lord was leading me into. I have it with me here tonight, a letter that I wrote to, I wrote a few letters. And I could say, well, I wrote a few epistles. Well, I prefer to call it letters. I wrote a few letters, and one was to this church in Mississauga. Because I remember prior to his death, Brother Goodwin, um, it was in May Convention that um, I got up. And if I can remember clearly, in the May Convention in 1996, I was speaking and I turned around and looked at him and I said, Brother Goodwin, I, I have a fear that if something happens to you, what will happen to the rest of us? And he, he sat there, you know, big man, sat there at the edge of his chair. He says, nothing is going to happen to me, brother. That's May. The last convention he went to was here in July, uh, when he came to our um, July meeting. And he went back to Des Moines, and I think he died on the 20th of July, <clears throat> same month. This was the last meeting he attended, and so it was not an easy thing for those of us who were close to him. I honestly believe <clears throat> That's where I had, I had what the doctor said um, when they examined me in the year 2000. He said, you had a heart attack somewhere in between before the year 2000. And I believe I had a heart attack. But, you know, I'm the kind of guy that gets pneumonia and still walk around and get a heart attack. And uh, God helps me to not even know I had a heart attack. Um, I have a broken heel and I still climb ladders. Um, all kinds of things. Uh, but God is good. And so in that year, as we came to the end of the year, I wrote a letter, and this letter was written on this, in December the 5th, 1996, to this assembly. Tonight I will read this letter to this assembly. And you follow me here, because I believe when I write a letter, it is like Scripture. It is technically an epistle to the church here in Mississauga. And so it writes here, it says, Dear brethren, 
Dear brethren in Christ, greetings to you in the name of God our Father and our Lord Jesus. As the year 1996 is rapid, rapidly drawing to an end, we are certainly, we can certainly conclude that this has been one of the most trying years in the history of our assembly as well as our fellowship. I would have preferred to say worst year, but my understanding of sovereignty has modified my vocabulary. I understand that the worst situations are the greatest opportunities for Christian development and maturity. God must take us through what is necessary in producing the overcomer. We are to master our circumstances and seize every opportunity for Christian excellence. Upon reflection, I can positively remember the Lord putting it into my mind to admonish our assembly as to this year being a difficult one filled with battles. That's when the year got started. The greatest trial this year was the sudden loss of our dear brother Goodwin. Also, apart from the continuous attacks from the devil upon our assembly, we all suffered when Brother Terry lost his case in court. For those working in the finance department, we can testify to the seemingly impossible year. Our liabilities increased while our income decreased. Our tenants were gone and so were those saints whose roots were not deep enough, that is, in the church. The devil has indeed fought our assembly with vehement force. Had it not been for the grace of God, we would have all been utterly defeated. But God was good. And we have seen his remarkable hand blessing us in the midst of our storms. Our God is faithful. And I pray that we can also be as he is faithful. Looking back to the past year, years, and carefully analyzing this remarkable journey we are making, we see positive progress. Like the nation of Israel, we, are, we were seemingly the fewest of all people, rejected not only by apostate religion, but even by the financial institu institutions in our society. I remember when we when we had $10,000 and we wanted to buy a property on Jane Street for, for 30, 35, they had it listed, a small church for 35,000. We had 10,000, we put an offer for 25,000 and they accepted it. The bank would not give us the money. We had 10,000 and we needed $15,000 mortgage and the bank at that time, it was Toronto Dominion Bank, not TD. They didn't amalgamate. It was Toronto Dominion Bank. And they did not give us the money because we were all immigrants. Nobody owned houses. We had small homes. And um, I'm not sure if you owned a house at that time, Brother John. But most people did not have homes. That was early. And 
That's why the bank, the financial institution, did not even care what we had. I remember that, I remember in the early 80s, we were refused a measly 15,000 mortgage on the Jane Street property. I remember when we moved into the basement at Dufferin, at Dufferin Presbyterian Church, in the midst of bugs, I remember when the Lord told us if, if we had the right attitude to the, to the building we occupied and the people we dealt with, God would move us out of the basement to better facilities. You all remember that? All right. And it goes on. So we painted the people's property, renovated and took pride in our basement facility. And then God moved us on. I remember how we thought it impossible to raise $100,000 deposit for the Kenmuir Church. But the grace of God enabled us and we did the impossible. Small congregation, we raised $100,000. Our attitude at Kenmuir was great. We renovated painted, and in less than five years, the building was complete, completely pay, paid off for. I think we bought the building for $218,000, and we were able to pay off for it in less than five years. We have moved on from the meanest storefront on College Street to our present million-dollar edifice. God has indeed blessed us. So we're tracing back from when we came into Canada from College Street, the storefront. Remember, we had a storefront, and we had Brother Goodwin's books in the window. And every time we fixed the building up, uh, Bono, Mr. Bono raised the rent. And so uh, we fixed it, he raised the rent. And so we left there and went to Presbyterian Church, and we stayed in the basement, and God took us from there to Kenmuir Avenue. Kenmuir Avenue was a box. And God helped us to fix that building up. This is good for reflection. The greatest challenge we ever faced to this point is our present property. The project was not a mere st step ahead, but a five step ahead. When we bought this property, it was not just jumping from Kenmuir into here. The Kenmuir church could fit in this sanctuary, the whole church could fit into the sanctuary and still have space around it. The Kenmuir Church was like, if you put the two pews together, join the two pews, I think that would be the width. Join the two pews together, and it had, it was 700 square foot. This building upstairs is 7,000 square foot. So we were cramped, but we were happy. It was the dollhouse in the community. And you know, when we bought that church, the community started to fix their homes. People started to fix their places and make it nice. And when we bought that church, the city went in and rebuilt Kenmuir Avenue. The street was rebuilt. The same thing happened when we moved there. When we moved in here, the city came in and built the street. And so, let me see where I am. Um, Lakeshore was a gigantic challenge. I knew God would give us the property, and this was confirmed by a prophecy 
by prophecy and dreams, including the greatest dream of caution I received from the Lord. The Lord showed me that there will be much internal problems. That's one of my dreams. Uh, members would leave the assembly and there would be problems among our elders. Some shaken to the roots. Of course, the greatest caution was when the Lord showed me my feet with socks but no shoes. Remember that dream? I had a dream before we bought this building that, no, after we bought the building, I can't remember where, when the dream was, but I dreamt. After we bought a building and we were getting, Brother Goodwin died, I remember dreaming that I was in the church and the pastor at the back, he was there at the back and he, the church was dark. The church was dark. They had a, the, this group of people holding services. And um, I went to the back and I said, Pastor, why is your pulpit at the back? And he said, well, the people love it this way. And I said, why is it dark? He said, it over that way too. And then I told him that we bought the building and he has to move down to the basement and we'll be taking over the building. And then when I looked down, I had, I was dressed in a suit. I had socks on, but no shoes. And that's when I jumped up and I thought of it. And I said, the Lord gave me this dream I thought maybe, you know, your feet shut with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You can have all kinds of interpretation, but my shoes would protect, protect my feet, and my feet supported my body. And I knew, deep in my spirit, that we would not have a financial support. We'll get into trouble economically. I needed to protect myself and the church economically. And that is when we try to seek out a, a line of credit, um, and the Lord was good to us. And then it goes on here. Let me see where we are. Um, the Lord showed me my feet with socks, but no shoes. I felt it meant that I was getting into a project which supported, which support uh, would be minimum. Uh, I must. I must testify that my dream was fulfilled in magnitude. Lakeshore was the first project for which a deposit pledge was overlooked. When we bought this property, we never asked for a deposit pledge. Every other effort we made, we asked, can we raise money for a deposit? This one, we didn't. And uh, we never did. And it says, volunteers for work at the church was reduced to a minimum. I remember when we bought this church, there was an altar here. That's why the cross is still there. There was an altar underneath the cross, and the pews went up this way, and some pews went up this way, and the pulpit was in the corner where, they, where the TV screen is. So the preacher would get up there and stand up, and you know, in an empty church with no carpet, <clears throat> and it echoes, and you say, well, I'm here today to talk to you, and it echoes. Well, that's what it was. We went, we took things apart, we took that building, that pulpit, tore it apart, made this one. We built this platform up like this. It took a lot of hard work. And this floor that you're sitting on tonight, it's solid concrete. Uh, they, uh, tornado can't 
tear this up, it would tear the building up, but the floor would remain. And then it goes on here. We are facing the most economic crisis in the history of our assembly. Tithing and pledges are almost presumptuously ignored. On top of our two mortgages totaling 155,000, we owe another uh, on top of our two mortgages totaling 155,000 for this building, which we bought for 425,000. It says we owe another 28,000, 13 of which is owing to me. I did not know I lend the church money. I did. We lend the church money. Now I'm reminding myself. The question of the year is, must we blame God? Has God let us down? Who is unfaithful, God or us? Well, even the greatest and most difficult question has an answer. Let us look back and see why God blessed us in the past. It was our unwavering faithfulness and attitude. A good attitude took us out of the basement, and a wrong attitude will give us a return trip to our basement accommodation. I don't know why this letter fell into my hand tonight to read. But the same attitude, our attitude is everything. And it goes on here, it says, when we occupied a basement, but responded to it as an exquisite, 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 sorry, exquisite edifice, our basement was replaced with, the, with an edifice. Isn't this beautiful? Now, if our attitude to the edifice that God has given us is reduced to a basement mentality, God must return us to the basement. Our spirit and attitude is everything. The existence of things and circumstances in the lives are conditional to the attitude we possess. Our trials, if unable to change us, will be like a leech. Stick to us until we change. Likewise, our prosperity will be short-lived if the attitude that generated the prosperity be diminished, I think the crisis we face right now is a result of our unfaithfulness. Not on God's part, but ours. For the past two years, God has indeed been very faithful to us. The quick sale of Kenmure and a remarkable purchase of Lakeshore. That was like a miracle. Um, we wanted this building. We put that one for sale, and it got sold. Um, I think it got sold for 290. We got it sold for 290. We bought it for 218, and we bought this for 425. And we got when we bought this, it was like that was also like a miracle. And so it says. Let me move on. Our spirit and attitude is everything. The existence of things and circumstances in our lives are conditional to the attitude we possess. Our trials, if unable to change us, will stick like a leech unto us. And uh, likewise, our prosperity will be short-lived if the attitude that generated the prosperity be diminished. I think the crisis we face right now is a result of unfaithfulness. 
not on God's part, but ours. In the past two years, God has indeed been faithful to us. The quick sale of Kenmure and a remarkable purchase of Lakeshore. Also, the memories of our greatest service, altar calls and the worship coming from Kenmure right down into here. When we moved into this church, we occupied just the overflow. That's where our little congregation would sit in and have church. But while we were fixing this one, it says the word, the word and spirit has been minimum, has not been minimum, sorry. Can we forget Sister Anne-Marie's miracle? That's Anne-Marie's uh, McDonald's miracle. Um, uh, the physician, uh, can we ignore the physicians, the physical improvement of our neighborhood? Anne-Marie McDonald had a tumor in her uterus and we prayed for her and the baseball-sized tumor disappeared and then she left the church. See, miracles don't keep you in church. Miracles can give you, you know, I, I need something. Sometimes the sickness is good to stick on you to keep you faithful. And then it goes on. Can we ignore the physical improvement of our neighborhood, the new road on Greaves, and the apartment complex across from the church have all added value to our property? Yesterday we met, yesterday we met with a counselor, um, what's his name? Stephen Dasco. And we met outside. And they remember this property, and we were commended, at, commended on the well-kept property we have here on Greaves Avenue. And they pulled out a picture of what the church used to be looking like with gravel at Brother Sam's entrance there, you know that section? And we had gravel on the neighbor's parking lot, and the people used to drive straight over uh, on the church's property and speed out. And the city... Remember, in their files, they had a letter I sent to them asking them to put those curbstones. Our signboard is partly on city property, and the garden is completely on city property. But they give us permission to do that. And for you and I, the parking lot is really um, something questionable with the city right now because they're not even sure if they own the parking lot or we own the parking lot. They're not even sure who fixed it the last time. Well, we give them their homework to do. Um, God has moved us forward. And what we required was more faithfulness on our part, not less. Our well-being should be continuous. Five steps forward demand five steps forward in our sacrifice and giving. If we jump five steps in buying this property, then it demanded five steps improvement in everything we do. Amen? Amen. And it goes on, a building seven times larger demanded seven times more attention, but we gave less than Kenmure, and may God help us that like backsliding Israel, our sacrifices are not described as lame and blind. My reason for putting this letter together is to admonish the church to respond to God's word. When we hear and fail to respond, it is similar to, the, to Israel treating the words of Ezekiel like a song. 
They hear, but no response. I feel our assembly needs improvement in the following areas. Okay, we got enough time to finish this. Number one, everybody's ready? Church attendance. The devil has indeed attacked us in this area with much success. Too many of us miss too many services for whatever reason. We need to pray that even when jobs, when jobs, even when the jobs God give us will not, that the job God gives us will not hinder our church attendance. We need to pray that the job God gives us will not hinder our church attendance. Point number two. Number one was church attendance. Number two, personal spiritual dedication. People do not pray nor read their Bibles enough in private dedication. A prayerless people is a powerless people. Have you heard that before? Yes. Number three, dedication to work at church. Everyone should spend time doing work at the church every week. Like David, we shall love the habitation of God's house. See, I make announcements on a Sunday and says we should help clean. And we look back, it's the same few people cleaning. Everybody wanders out and they're gone. Can't work. The Lord says, I know your works. And for a church to succeed, it needs to maintain its integrity and its dedication and faithfulness. Number four, worship. We need to improve our involvement in church worship. We must be, we must be worshiping, worshipped. God must be worshipped. Sorry, God must be worshipped in, in the spirit uh, with all our might. And that is what I noticed recently. And this letter is something that I need to print, reprint, and give to everyone a copy. Uh, because right now, the worship, it's not, I want, I don't want people to get wild. If you got to wait for the music and get wild, then it's the wrong reason. I want us to be able to worship God in our spirit. And so worship here is number four. Number five. And this one is a long one. It has bullet points. Financial responsibility. To support the church, we must first have jobs. This is an absolute, absolutely important element in, the, in church building. Number two, the second bullet, pledges. Seek to be involved in every pledge effort, especially mortgage, missionary, and a three-month building, if we, if, and, we, and do not fail to pay the same on time. Uh, the reason why we were able to pay off the Kenmuir Church so rapidly, we had a three-month building pledge. Every three months, people would make a pledge, and we put that. And you know, coming from there, it's, um, it still exists, and not fail to, to pay it. I'm going to read that. Seek to be involved in every pledge effort, especially mortgage, missionary, and the three-month building pledge. I made a pledge for building fund, and I have never failed paying it. I made a pledge one time for magazine. Where's the magazine? 
I made a pledge. I still pay my pledge. I made a pledge for missionary, and I still pay that pledge. And that is why I believe God has stood with me. I believe that's why God touches my mind. And I honestly believe I am not a polyparrot, parroting up someone's ideas and just preaching. I preach messages with life and commitment. And then tithes. Tithes is one-tenth of all earnings one receives, whether sale of a home, gift, uh, personal investment, or regular wages. To retain tithes is to steal from God. So, it becomes evident that after one, after one pays one's tithes, one has not given anything to God. If the tithes belong to God, when you pay your tithes, it's owing God. When you pay your tithes, you haven't given anything to God. You see, that's a principle I live with. And I have maintained that. <clears throat> and then, next, number six. I got a few more, just a few more, two more. Number six, witness. Everyone is a witness and should do their best to bring as many into the church as possible. Number seven, receiving your minister. As dealt with recently, Scripture shows that shows us that the congregation's responsibility, congregation's responsibility is to take care of the natural needs of the minister. To despise the ministry is to despise God. So I'm telling Chandri, I'm saying, you know, would not be something if somebody says, I'm coming over to cut the grass at your house. I get a heart attack. You understand? I mean, I am fussy. If, if, if I'm going to worship God, then I can worship God the way I want. Should I? Or the way He wants? Come on, I can't hear you. If I'm to worship God, I must worship God the way He wants, not the way I want. Don't bring strange fire. That's a nice subject for me to get on. Don't bring in strange fire. Uh, God will burn the people up that are offering strange fire. God does that. And if you're to do something for me, then don't do it the way you want. Do it the way I want. Fair and square? All right. <clears throat> Last item. Christian fellowship. There is a greater need for us as believers to care one for another on a day-by-day -day basis, else our religion is in vain. But if you live in Timbuktu, you can't be around the saints and you would not find the convenience to be there for them. This letter was written in, 19, in, the, in December 1996 to this church. It concludes, the above mentioned eight years, eight areas, sorry, the above mentioned eight areas are vital to the existence and continuance of our assembly. The word charity covers it all. If we love the Lord with all our heart and with all our souls and with all our might, and we, move, we, we will move on victoriously. When our treasure, bracket, money, time, talent, is 
is where our treasure, money, time, talent is, there will our heart also be. May God give us wisdom and open our spiritual eyes and ears as we prayerfully read this letter. So I'm going to print it again. Can we judge ourselves? Can we examine our hearts? Can we correct the areas where we have failed before it is too late? As pastor, I've done my best to stand with the work in every possible way. Based on proportion, I've given more than anyone else in time, ministry, and money, even my soul. Based on proportion, I've given more than anyone else in my time, ministry, money, and even my soul. I do covet the same from you. For those without jobs, I exhort you to seek diligently good jobs. Don't let your job keep you away, but sometimes we live in a difficult city. Sometimes the job does demand that. Now, I'm going to put a pause here. I'm looking, I've got little less than, um, little more than five minutes. But when it comes to tithing, for example, if you make $100 a week, I'm just hypothetically making a statement. If you make $100 a week and your rent is 90, come and talk to me. I tell you don't pay tithes because tithes is for the support of the ministry, right? So I can tell you, you're not making enough money to support the church. That's my prerogative. The poor we'd always have in our midst. You understand? And those of us that are paying tithes, God bless you. Because that's a wonderful thing. But do not condemn someone. And that is why I told the finance department, when you read the people's money and how much they give, don't let that bother you. If it's bothering you, resign. Get a different job. Because when you read people, you don't know the consequences that people are living with. This letter is meant for those that are presumptuously violating the principles of God. Some people cannot help it. They don't have enough money. I remember our brother came to, when we bought, when we bought Kenmure, our brother came to me and he said, it was Kenmure, right? Or this church. I can't remember which one. A brother came and his wife and they said, we'll sell our town home and put the prophets into the church. I'm telling you, right? And when the brother came, I said, you, sell, you sold it? They said, we are in process of selling it. We'll sell our town home and put the, the prophets in the church. I said, how much is the profits? They said, we'll make $20,000. I don't know if you can remember who it was. Uh, husband and wife say, we, we'll make $20,000 profit and put it in the church. Uh, both, both people today are not in church. But um, I said, no, put 10. Maybe I should have took, taken the 20. <laughs> but um, I said, put 10 and put the other 10 towards the Newton home. That was me. A brother came one time and he says, I would like to give $5,000. I'm borrowing it from the bank to give $5,000. I said, just give one. Don't go borrow five. Give one. That's all you can afford at this point in time. 
We're not here to make profits out of people, not this church. We are here to consider the hearts of the people. We'd always be charitable, we'd always be helpful. And it goes on, I'm going to conclude, the five minutes left. Can we judge ourselves? Can we examine our hearts? Can we correct the errors where we have failed before it is too late? As pastor, I've done my best to stand with the work in every possible way. Based on proportion, I've given more than anyone else in time, ministry, and money, even of my soul. I do covet the same from every one of you. For those without jobs, I exhort you to seek diligently for jobs so that you can, you too can assist the work. For those working, seek jobs. Um, no, for those working, seek jobs that will not keep you out of church. That is a condition you have to battle with. I remember, and I'm going to share this with you. I remember when I got the first security job. And um, uh, why did I get a security job? We are going to New York. And we went to pick Sister Indira up, and she was living at Burton Thorpe and Aaron Mills Parkway. And I went to pick her up, and when I went there, the, the security guard uh, was at the gate sleeping. I'm at the gate, ready to go in, and he's sleeping. So I got up and knocked on the window like this, and he thought God came down to see him. So I told Chandra, I said, this is a good job for me, because I scarcely sleep. I can sit there, do my work, do my study. This guy is sleeping. And I can be able to get some money. And that's where I got into security. That's how I got into security. And why did I get into that subject? Um, let us as a congregation do our best to be involved in every project, activity, pledge in the assembly. Let us do our best to exalt God in every service and in all we do. Let us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. May these words take root in your heart. Thanks for being faithful throughout the past year, and may God be with you in the coming year. I am faithfully yours, Brother Singh. Written in December the 5th, 1996, and it took me exactly the time I'd li like to preach to talk to you tonight. And I believe this letter is appropriate because every time I'm about to leave the country, it is good that I share some vision with the people. I wrote a few letters, and I would like to call them epistles because I believe God inspired me to write those letters, and we need to keep them. This is scripture, and this would work for any assembly when they start to look at where we're coming from. Well, that, does that mean because I wrote this assembly, it will last forever? Did Paul, his churches last forever? No. But the saints that were, the letter was written to, they had no excuse for not being faithful. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this night we spent in your house. We ask, O oh Lord, that you'll be with us and you'll touch our minds. These words that we have heard tonight, Father, let them register in our lives to be an influence to change us, Father, we pray. Please, O oh God, once again, we bring those grieving and those that are uh, in distress tonight. We pray that you'll be with your people, whether in North America or around the world. 
Strengthen Brother Glenn tonight, especially we ask, and the family. In Jesus' name we ask it, and for his glory. Amen.